In this episode of the Corona Diaries, I am speaking with Trushar, who is a doctor in the Johns Hopkins medical system. He works at a hospital in Howard County, Maryland, and is witnessing firsthand the challenges that those on the front lines are facing each and every day. Maryland coronavirus cases are climbing fast, and Trushar can share what is likely coming for all of us living in the DC metro area. How does Trushar keep himself safe while also caring for the sick? What does it look like in his hospital? And what about his wife and children? How does one safely parent when caught between a highly contagious virus and having a family sheltering at home? Trushar, thank you for taking the time to join the Corona Diaries. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on this, and thank you for having me, Sam. Um, I believe this is your first day off in a long while. What, what does that feel like? It honestly doesn't feel like a day off, because I'm still running at 150 miles an hour. And what does that mean? I mean, take me through a little bit of what your days have looked like. Um, for those of us who are not in the medical field, what's, what's this like right now for folks like you? So for folks like me, so to give a little background about myself, I'm both a clinician and one of the leaders of our hospital medicine group. So trying to balance doing clinical work, patients, you know, coming up with protocols to keep our patients safe, our providers safe, and and you know, working with a new disease that you know we really haven't been. Um, been around to kind of see, uh, you know, unfold. Um, so it's, it's just very, very new. And you're learning something new every day, whether it's at home or in the hospital. And do you work as a hospitalist? Is that one of your roles? Yes, I'm a hospitalist um, by training. And so that means for those listening that you're covering people with a whole host of issues, whether it's coronavirus or other, other, uh, medical ailments that bring them into the hospital, correct? Correct. Anyone who needs to be admitted into the hospital who's not requiring an intensive care um, stay um, comes to our service. So whether you're having a simple skin infection or a more complicated pneumonia or some sort of bleed or other type of infection, we'll take care of you there. So as a hospitalist who is somewhat of, of a generalist for providing care, um, how do you handle those with the coronavirus when you're essentially learning on the job about, I mean, as you said, learning about this disease, which is new, I, how does one treat that? Well, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, we, we hope we're doing the right thing, but I think it, I think it starts with preparation. And one thing that I really respect about our hospital is that we started this process um, way before coronavirus hit Maryland. And so we formed groups um, both from the higher leadership level and then down to our frontline staff. And we've, we've organized, we've come up with different staffing models. Um, We've been on calls both locally and nationally figure out what other people are doing. We've been um, in contact with some of the hospitals that have, you know, seen this firsthand and before we've seen this in Maryland and we've learned a lot of lessons from them. 
and and it just never feels like your job is over um, when you come home. So me personally, I'm always looking on, and actually Twitter is actually a great place to both um, find out information from people you trust. Um, and, you know, that's been a, a big information um, kind of gathering place um, for me. And it allows me to kind of squash out all the misinformation and kind of fake news out there and make sure that we're, we're using the most up-to-date information that's credible. Um, there's a lot of hype out there about what's going to happen. And honestly, we, we don't know a lot about what's going to happen. And so to try to be humble and, and respect the process is, is something that, you know, I believe in. Within the hospital environment, does it feel chaotic or do you feel in control? Early on, it felt a little bit chaotic, more with the inefficiencies with how your day goes. Um, you know, we had a lot of things in place of how we like to deliver patient care, how we like to talk to family members, how we like to engage with our patients. And with coronavirus, everything has been flipped on its head from the fact that families can't come into the hospital and see their loved ones, um, and especially the most vulnerable um, who can't really advocate for themselves. So we've had to talk about how to redesign care, how to keep our providers safe. Um, it's, it's very chaotic um, in, in that sense. But I think, you know, our, our group is very resilient and very adaptable to change. And so we've been very lucky to have um, those types of people working for you us. You mentioned a few moments ago the word humbling. You know, as, as laymen, we go to the doctor we hold we hold medical professionals in very high esteem. Um, when you're sick, you look to them for you know to help you, and they're they're like your saviors. Um, has this whole process been a humbling experience from the doctor patient perspective? Because you may not have all the answers. Absolutely, you know i I think I find myself someone who was already humbled by, you know, people's um, disease processes and feelings about things. And I always, you know, tell patients that we don't know everything about science. And even if we can't, for those rare people, we can't figure out things for, I, I, I tell them to keep searching and, you know, that something's going on and we'll, we'll find an answer to it or we'll get you to the right person. Um, for something like this, where we literally don't know a lot about what's happening, um, it's you know, it takes it to another level where we learn something one day and we have to adapt and kind of admit, you know, admit our mistakes and, and move forward quickly. But isn't it, I mean, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, can it be demoralizing for doctors where, I mean, you come in to your, your line of work knowing how to solve many problems and, and a lot of, a lot of, there's a standard of care for a lot, a, a lot of ailments. And when you don't have that, I mean, I guess you're developing it, you know, in, in real time. But I mean, what about the mental health for doctors when when you're expected to have solutions and you don't have them? I read about I, I think it was a doctor or a nurse who, who committed suicide last week. I mean, how do you as physicians keep your mental health in check? And that's a great question. I think everyone deals with it very differently. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just mention our group, our 
internal medicine group at the hospital, we have daily check-ins at, at noontime with all our providers who are working to kind of, you know, give them updates on what's happening, answer any questions, kind of relieve some of that stuff. Um, so that's, that's one way we're targeting. And then we're also, we're also just sharing our experiences. Um, we have a WhatsApp group kind of just talking about everything from how people are parenting and how people are handling childcare and some of the frustrations. And I think acknowledging that we are in very unprecedented times and acknowledging that this is a crisis. Um, you know, I think that's very important to do. Um, but you know, the, the mental health part of it, you know, I, I think it's like any other profession, people are, people come with different backgrounds and different, um, life circumstances and different family situations. And it's hard to know everyone's unique details, um, to the level that, you know, could, could, you know, really impact change. And what about the issues that, that we read about in the news about a lack of personal protective equipment? Is, is that something that that's an issue in your hospital as well? Or are you all covered pretty well in that regard? Um, luckily, we are covered well, but it is a problem nationally and probably around the world. And, and why isn't it an issue in your hospital, but it, but it is a problem elsewhere? just based on quantity of patients or, or the size of the, of the institution, what, what creates the differential? I think um, Johns Hopkins has a very robust and very, um, very strong, um, um, uh, what's the word, what's the word? Um, network or just? Network and, and just, Oh, I just lost the word. It's okay. You have a right to be tired yeah. and to lose <laughs> words. I mean, you're relatively speaking a fairly young doctor. Um, and on a purely personal level, are, are you scared practicing medicine right now in this environment? You know, it's a, it's a great question. Um, in, in some ways it's, it's a little scary because you're, kind of practicing medicine in a very different way. Um, you're trying not to anchor your thoughts onto every patient having coronavirus. And, you know, there's other things where people are having strokes and um, bleeds and, you know, other infections. And so it's, it's just very important to, to kind of keep your mind open because not everyone has coronavirus. Um, but, you know, your, your whole process of how you conduct yourself in the hospital is very different um, from the way communication happens um, with the way, you know, you touch a computer or you, you know, walk through a door. You are, you are just extra, extra, extra careful. And um, you, have to, you have to remind yourself and you have to have people there watching you. Uh, make sure you're not, you know, contaminating yourself um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very very scary thing, and probably exhausting on some level as well. Yes, it it makes you kind of very neurotic in the hospital. You know, you you have a thought process, and then you're kind of interrupted by, did I just touch myself on my face? Did I just you know contaminate my phone, or did I just do something I shouldn't have? So there's a lot of mental interruptions, um, um, especially early on. I think the more you spend in the hospital, 
doing patient care during these times, um, the quicker you learn how to, you know, figure out a new process. I think the human mind is very adaptable. Well, you probably get into a rhythm as well. So I, I, I asked if, if, if there was anything about this process that's scary, but I guess on the flip side, one could argue perhaps this is an inspiring time to, to be a doctor. I mean, you're, you're serving at a, at a crucial moment in history and um, are, are really right, right in this moment, you know, discovering it and, 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 and being a contributor to, to hopefully what are ultimately positive outcomes with this. Um, or am I overstating it a bit or, or um, romanticizing it perhaps? I, I don't know. Um, I mean, do you see yourself as a, as a warrior or as a, 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 you know, some people say this is like a wartime situation. Um, um, I do. I think, um, I think I, I don't see myself as a hero because that's not something I see myself as um, in general. I mean, I'm hearing about it and, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of um, people talking about it, but I personally don't see that. I see myself as doing my job and trying to do it very well. Um, I think it's, it's a war in terms of, you know, we, we haven't, it's unexpected. We don't know all the solutions and, you know, we're trying to, trying to keep ourselves and people and our families, you know, safe. So speaking more broadly, not necessarily what's going on in your hospital, but within our region, within the DC metro area, Maryland and, you know, Virginia, DC, um, where are we on the curve? And, and is your hospital and other facilities prepared? Because I mean, I just read before we chatted tonight that DC metro metro area is now being deemed a new hotspot. So I would say Maryland has been pretty steady. Um, I would say the, the hospital um, volumes have been very reasonable. We've been prepared um, from before this time. Um, the hospitals have been canceling, you know, all elective procedures. So we're not seeing an influx of um, volume from those types of patients. Um, so we, we've had time to prepare for this and get used to dealing with um, patients who have potentially coronavirus or, in fact, do have it. Um, I think the hotspots um, we're finding that that are attributable to people who don't really have great access to care. So, you know, people with um, without insurance and people with um, uh, language barriers and people who have to work every day and don't have the luxury to stay at home and kind of, you know, wait through this. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that as kind of popping up right now. So perhaps it's not an equal opportunity ailment where those who have less lower income perhaps are getting hit harder than those who, who are not, who are in different socioeconomic uh, circumstances. Yes. In, in some way, yes. Um, they're getting exposed. They're, they're having to put themselves in more, um, in tougher spots um, than than other people, for sure. Is the public getting an accurate picture of the outbreak from our leaders and other officials? Definitely not. I think the country is very mixed. Um, I think there's a lot of distractions out there. I think people are trying to um, 
make very, very big gestures, big opinions about how things are going. And I think it's more of a slow and steady approach. And, you know, we, we learn something new every day. And I think things are week to week. Um, and we can't jump to conclusions about how things are going to go one way or the other. What would you like to see perform differently in terms of policy and implementation? If this is your chance to vent or to, to voice areas where you want to see a change, what, what would those be? I think, um, I mean, with the current administration, I think relying on, on our scientists and our doctors to kind of lead the way and lead the pathway and have not hindered by politics, I think that would be fantastic. I think having people who, who don't have um, uh, detailed information of science and health policy and, and healthcare in general should not be speaking about whether it's successful or whether we've you know, failed at this. Well, we're a far cry from that. And I learned that they're now discussing winding down the coronavirus task force and turning all the attention to reopening the economy. Um, we're, we're far ways away from, from the latter stages of this, aren't we? I mean, it, it seems premature to be kind of jumping to act two, scene one, correct? I, I agree with you. I think we have to have enough testing available. We have to know what our antibodies are doing before we get back into the, in, into like a regular economy. And I think we have to figure out some proven treatments um, for patients who, who deal with a, a more complicated course. So I think those three things have to happen. And do you, are you optimistic they will happen in a reasonable amount of time or do you, do you question that? Um, I think some things will happen quicker than others. The vaccine, um, I don't believe will happen this year based on how long it takes to A, develop a vaccine and B, how long it takes to produce it. Um, and distribute it. I mean, you have to distribute it to 300 million Americans. Absolutely. Oh, so that you just popped that word, uh, supply chain. Hopkins has a very good supply chain, so we have enough uh, protective equipment. Ah, that's what you were um, looking for before, earlier in that conversation, <laughs> supply chain. Yeah. Um, I think um, there's a lot of companies out there producing testing out there, and it's there's a lot of kind of noise out there. So I think we have to rely on the few companies that are taking their time to produce good product before before we jump on all these other companies producing these kind of faulty tests or unproven tests. You have two young children at home. How is your family dealing with this crisis and your role in it? Um, I would say my wife is a rock star. And, you know, if I did not have her, I think our children would be, you know, eating cereal for three meals a day and probably watching TV, you know, 24 seven. Um, I am very grateful that my wife is able to kind of sustain, um, and, and like many other, um, people, whether healthcare or not, uh, there's a lot of strong women and strong men who are taking care of their families throughout this crisis. Well, you said that, uh, articulated that very well. I agree with you a hundred percent in that regard. Um, what is your, from your perspective, what's your prediction for the return to school? I mean, we both have young kids. What, what are you thinking on that, on that subject? 
I am cautiously optimistic about a September return, but you know, I think that's more of me desiring that what, uh, versus uh, what's actually going to happen. And then even but if I it, think, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, uh, you know, we've learned a lot in these last few months. So I think a few more months we'll learn a lot more. Um, hopefully some of these drug trials will prove effective. Uh, the jury is still out on everything. Nothing is shown, you know, dramatic improvements for most people. I just can't imagine that that children can return to school in the same fashion, even if they can concoct some method for doing so. It would have to be drastically different in order to sustain social distancing, which is going to be around for the foreseeable future, correct? Yes, for the foreseeable future, yes. I think um, especially, you know, our children's ages, um, I think it's just very difficult to tell kids to stay away from their friends. You know, I think they're just used to, you know, coming up to you, whether it's your parent or your friend, and you're just, they're like right in your face, and they don't know anything any any different. So it's so I agree with you. So it's probably uh, safe to presume that sporting events, camps, parties, it, it's just not going to happen for a while. I mean, society returning to what we all defined as normal, that it's just not in the cards. I mean, I don't mean to, to, to be a downer here, but that's just reality, right? I think it's reality until we learn more about what our antibodies are doing and whether we're protected. And they just don't and have so that. For those, people who, for those people who have gotten the illness, whether they had a very dramatic course or whether they were asymptomatic, I think we just don't know yet what our antibodies are doing for us. So how do you keep your safe from your family when you come home? Is there a whole procedure you could go through in order to, to make yourself safe for the home environment? Yes. So um, I go to work. I wear scrubs going to work. Um, as soon as I get to work, I change into hospital scrubs um, and put my clothes, you know, into a safe place. And then, you know, I do my hospital stuff. And then when I'm done, I take all the hospital stuff, leave it in the hospital for cleaning. And I change back into, you know, the scrubs I was wearing from home um, and kind of decontaminate everything um, from my phone, my badge, everything. Um, and then I, as soon as I get home, I leave my shoes outside, um, put everything straight into the laundry, go upstairs for a shower, um, before I greet anybody in the house. And everybody has remained healthy in your home, you included. Yes. But what, what is your message for medical professionals who are burned out? Um, I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're burned out at this point. It doesn't sound like you're burned out, but it does sound like you're tired. Um, what would you say to your peers, um, who are struggling right now and, and looking ahead to the months that, that are before us to, to deal with this? I would say, you know, keep the conversation going, um, whether it's, whether it's questions about, you know, details of how to conduct yourself at work or how to stay safe at work to, you know, what are people doing at home to keep their, their kids safe and educated and, you know, not, not 
killing each other, you know, quote unquote. Um, I think, I think just keeping the conversation alive is important, you know, getting your thoughts out, making sure you're not bottling it in. Trisha, I appreciate you taking the time to share your perspective. And um, I, I know you're working, it sounds like you're working seven days a week, in many cases, and very long hours. How many hours a week are you working right now? Do you even know? Um, I don't even know. I'm working. I'm on the clock all the time. Well, I, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to, to talk to me. And um, I'm wishing you all the best in the months ahead as we continue to deal with this pandemic. Well, thank you for having me, Sam. This is this has been great talking to you.